Studio Stories, Studio Stories. A podcast reminiscing on Twin Cities dance history. All stories are connected, new ones woven from threads of the old. Hi, I'm Matthew Jindusky. Welcome to Studio Stories. Today our guest to share a bit of their studio stories is Leslie Parker. Leslie is a Rondo St. Paul native artist with home art bases in Brooklyn, New York and the Twin Cities. Leslie is a dance artist, maker, improviser, performer, director, collaborator, and educator. A 2022 McKnight Choreographer Fellow, a Bessie Award recipient, with several other national, nationally distinguished awards for her work. Welcome, Leslie. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here. It's great to be in conversation with you, Matthew. It's been a while since we've talked. Yeah. We've so excited to hear you. <laughs> yeah, it's so great to hear your voice. I, I, you have such a great voice. I, I, um, I just really enjoy your. I don't know. There's a calming sense to you. <laughs> That's sweet. That's um, sweet. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's so nice to have you here with us today. And my goodness, you are busy. So getting getting time with you today is just really special to me. Um, you've been keeping busy with some incredible research and commissions. Mm-hmm. I'm super excited to learn of your path in the performing arts and and shed some light on your creative process, like what what you're doing and what you're up to. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> There's so much going on at the moment. I'm trying to think the best way to begin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's dive in. I know that you um, received your BFA in choreography and modern dance technique from Esther Boyer college of music and dance at temple university. Yay. I love, I love Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, and an MFA in dance from Hollins university in partnership with the, I'm going to mess this up. Kunstler house. Mm-hmm. Say that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the Frankfurt university of music and performing arts and the Dresden Frankfurt company in Frankfurt, Germany. Um, but first (laughs) I always, I love hearing, you know, where it all kind of began for you. Uh, let's start with hearing of your time before all of these incredible accomplishments, how you started dancing and, you know, thinking more about this conversation with you, Leslie, as well as just like, my goodness, your focus. I just, (laughs) it's like, you knew early on that what you wanted to do in, in my mind. So maybe I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, how did you start dancing? Well, you're not wrong. (laughs) It has been a windy road, though, and not a straight line. Um, And some, you know, times it felt like I was moving straight ahead, and then there were lots of pauses, and I didn't realize, not thinking in hindsight now, how much those pauses were a part of the process and how needed they really were. Mm. At the time during the pauses where I felt like I should be doing more or not enough, you know, my experience in the dance world here in Minnesota was just, it's, how do I say, it wasn't tumultuous or it it wasn't a bad experience for lack of a better way of putting it. It it just, it was a lot. It was complex and Mm. sometimes really complicated. So I tend to judge myself and so when I had moments where it felt like I wasn't moving forward it was easy for me to think that 
I wasn't putting out into mm. the world um, quality material. And the pauses actually in hindsight just taught me how to research that I had, you know. So I learned with how to um, focus by taking those moments of stillness and, and, and trying to figure out the best way to, to move forward that brings my heart as much joy as possible so that I can inspire others. And so I know that more now than, than in the moments. So like as a kid, yeah, as far as knowing what I wanted to do, there was there's never been a question about dance. You know, I, I always tell people when they ask that uh, it's like for those of us who've had like guardians that have been the same guardian consistently throughout our life since, born, since we were born, um, it's like you don't remember meeting that person. You know, there's, there's some of us have people in our life where they've just always been there, and you just know they've always been there. You don't have that introductory period of, "Hey, who are you? My name is." That's how dance was for me. It's just always been there. It was never introduced to me. Um, I just danced all the time, and it was my parents that eventually said I think we should do something about this because I we want to watch TV and she can't just keep dancing in front of the TV all the time <laughs> that's great <laughs> we got to get this girl somewhere where she can get this out of her system so we can mm-hmm. watch TV in peace so <laughs> I didn't grow up in a community that had I mean that sounds so reductive so let me let me back up I grew up in a community that um, was predominantly a black community, Rondo, at the time, in the with roots a couple generations deep in it. So my my roots in the Rondo community stem back to like the nineteen twenties. So hmm. at that point, you know, uh, we did not have, even though we had it a lot in our community where we didn't have to search outside of our community before the 94 came through. Uh, I don't know how much of art practices and art continued even after the 94 came through and split our neighborhoods up and dismantled the community. So by the time I can think back and have memory as a kid around dance, we didn't have um, schools close by where I could train or um, it was not in me to want to go to a conservatory or be trained in a way that was more traditional and aligned with a, um, a classical dancer at that time. I pretty much was influenced by my environment. And my environment meant that we celebrated our community. Everything was about community. Everything was about mm. community. Like you knew where people lived. You always could get a, a, a plate. It was uh, food, if you needed it, if you're outside and you needed to drop by somebody else's house, the door was always open. Usually when I grew up, it was the back door that the kids could come in and out of. Like there was a sense of community where if we danced at all, it was because it was done in community. Uh, even boys and girls clubs, basketball games. In school, we had, um, they would give us programs where we could choose what kind of extracurricular activity you want to do for a certain period in school after school programs and I would always choose dance 
So I would, I would from time to time have an after school program I could go to and, and just continue to ignite and reaffirm that dance is who I am and what it is that I wanted to do. I marched in the drill teams that competitions that we had in Rondo. My group was called the Lou Wiley High Steppers. Uh-huh. And um, we had drummers and we tapped dance down the street. <laughs> uh-huh. It was really hot. And we had top hats and fishnet stockings and we did the whole baton thing. Like, and then at the end of the uh, marching, like, uh, we would march through the entire neighborhood. So it was more like, um, and you would see the neighbors watching. They'd sit on their lawns, anticipating us coming by their homes and they applaud us as we would go by. And it wasn't just the Luwale High Steppers. We had several different groups that would represent different neighborhoods. Eventually, that got so big uh, regionally. There were people coming from Chicago and um, oh Kansas. Gosh. And then the competitions got bigger and bigger. And we ended up having them at... Um, Central High School, which is uh, my brother's high school. But that, after a while, I got older and wanted to eventually get more formal training. And I was trying to figure out the track of what a formal training background looks like for someone like me, who's heavily influenced by my neighborhood, which also means activism. And and activists in my community look very different. They, They weren't necessarily the kind of activists that uh, look like for in, during my time, what I can remember in my memory, my activists that were in my community looked more like um, folks who were making sure there were food to eat for the kids, making sure that, you know, that the streets were safe mm. um, when things were uncomfortable for us, you know, in terms of what does safety look like? It was our elders that saw to it that safety happened. Like, um, those boys and girls clubs, making sure that the students had appropriate information to learn about who they are and their history, not as much through books, but more so through what kinds of events can we put on? What kind of car wash to make some money? Can we give kids experience in how to work in the parking lot and we'll put together and then we'll sell some cookies and things mm. like that. That's what activism looked like for me growing up in yeah. a community. And part of that community, Leslie, seems very specific to the black community of it sounded like stepping mm-hmm. and uh, drill team kind of mm-hmm. approach, which makes me wonder if that was brought from another culture or was that part of the culture of the, like you were saying, the ancestors and things like that of that neighborhood specifically that community like who were some of like teachers or things that you remember from that kind of time frame you know we didn't we didn't analyze it like that as a yeah. kid we just were doing we're just being us <laughs> we didn't ask a lot of questions around where does this come from we just yeah it felt we didn't have to think about it it just felt natural it felt good and that's what we did and so the teachers that i had like i said what activists look like to me like Lou Wiley High Steppers, it wasn't a question about we have to intentionally make black space. That's not how I felt growing up. It just, we were in our neighborhood and we gathered and we did the things that felt good to us that Mm. brought us joy. And that's all it was. Yeah. Um, 
And like I said, when I started thinking more intentionally about training and what does training look like? Because our community was changing, I was changing, and I felt like I did want more formal training. Um, that's over, you know, for a while I stopped dancing because I just felt like I needed to be a kid. Like <laughs> I, I was rehearsing all the time. You know, we've, we, I performed at the Ordway when I was like nine, <laughs> you know, I performed it just about what felt like everywhere to the point where like our leaders would take us to parking lots all over the place and just turn on a box and have us dance. Like it was just all the time everywhere. We didn't ask for space sometimes. <laughs> I don't know how legitimate that was, but she would literally just say, just dance here. <laughs> like remember downtown in the plaza, like just all the place, all, all places everywhere. And eventually, you know, I just wanted to go to the playground and not have to think about rehearsal and costumes and things. So that mm. took me out of the game for a while. And I, and it took me a while to get back in. And when I did, I said, oh no, I, I really want this. And that's when I knew I wasn't just dancing because my mom said, you know, we need you to be doing something active. Mm. I knew when I returned to it, that it was something that I loved and couldn't live without. And so then I started seeking out classes and that's when I found um, Dance Africa, that when it came here in 94 with Chuck Davis. On the ah, Chuck Davis, yeah. Yeah, when they came here that first time and only time. <laughs> and I experienced that and thought, oh my God, I really want to follow what this is because at that time I didn't know what it was I stopped dancing for a while uh, you know I wasn't sure what direction I wanted to go into but when I heard that Dance Africa was coming I thought this is interesting and then I met Marvette Knight there at um, the vendors because when Chuck Davis came with Dance Africa there was also they brought vendors they brought like um workshops and things. And I think June Wilson worked with Rennie Harris's Pure Movement and Chuck, it was just a beautiful site. Mm. And I did, I was like, who is June? Who is this company? Who are, who, who are these people? Yeah. And, um, Marvette, I, I didn't know who, I remember Mar Marvette a little bit from being a kid because Marvette Knight was around in theater companies working with the Children's Theater and Penumbra and different companies back then. And I remember seeing her as a kid, younger. And so when I bumped into her at Dance Africa, I was like, I want to keep dancing. How do I do this? I, I started looking up in phone books. <laughs> we have phone books. Uh, trying yeah. to figure out where to go. And she said, come to my class. And at that time it was over in Minneapolis. I forget this. Arizona Studios, I think it was. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Or Nicollet. I don't know. Yeah. Like 28th and Nicollet. Yeah. Around there. And she was teaching there. And so then that's where I, that's, that was my entry point back into dance. And where did Dance Africa take place? Was that at Hennepin Center, now mm -hmm. the Coles? No. No, it was at St. Catherine's. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. At um, O'Shaughnessy, the performance was, but they took over the campus when they came here. Where I think, mean, so when you have vendors for Dance Africa, that means you can buy clothes. Um, um, food, uh, 
jewelry, you know, all the things, drums. And when you go to Dance Africa, if you ever get there in um, Brooklyn, it's usually at Brooklyn Academy of Music, I bam, every year. And so some places, because of how Baba Chuck traveled Dance Africa, some places actually adopted, I think Pennsylvania has their own Dance Africa now. But the original Dance Africa happens at BAM every year in May. Hmm. It'd be nice to get that back again. It would be. It <laughs> yeah, would it sounds like a real festival of stepping into different cultures of... Of Africa. Of Africa, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, like the food and the, the enjoyment of different moves and things like that. It sounds it so cool. So true, so true. It was... It's like a celebration of, and, and when you talk about ancestry, Dance Africa, and Baba Chuck was one who uh, emphasized the importance of remembering the ancestors. And he's also someone who's well known in different parts of Africa where he went and studied and he did, and done a lot of his research. And so he would also bring folks to the states from Africa. And he represents one of those mentors that were, were were one of the first people to bring African aesthetics from different countries that are populated with Black African um, music and dance and to do the research there and bring it back, like a Catherine Dunham, you know, like Pearl mm-hmm. Primus, um, and there's so many more. And Chuck Davis at the time, when it came to African dance, was, was, was one of those. Babas, so some yeah. people that did that for us here in in the states. So that took me. That's how I got to Temple because eventually I started looking for programs that had an African aesthetic. Or I know I knew I knew I'd find ballet, but I didn't know if I would find African aesthetics. And I when I found Temple, Mama Kariyamu Welsh was there, who's passed away. May she rest in peace, my mentor. Mm. Um, actually, it's going. Coming up upon her, we already passed her anniversary when she passed. But um, when I saw her at Temple University, I saw in the brochure, I could see that there was African dance going because they had, you know, the Lapas and the Jimbe, and it's showing as one of the classes that were being offered. And you can get a PhD at Temple University. So I thought that must be where I need to go. And that's where I went. And I went and I danced with, danced Mfundala with. Kariyamu Company Traditions when I first got there. And what time, like, year was this around? Mm-hmm. That was about, I graduated in 2007. Okay. So early 2000s. Yeah. And I feel like, Leslie, that program at Temple then, having the African diaspora and the those classes perhaps was a little bit more new at that time or revolutionary in in the university setting i mean i'm making a big blanket statement here but i feel like there might not have been a lot of other places that no had no. that right no i mean the fact that there was an african diaspora track there was pretty incredible and i know that mama kariamu dr kariamu welsh was instrumental in seeing to it that there was an African diaspora track in Philadelphia, especially since Philadelphia is also another space that's at the time was predominantly a black, filled with black people. 
Hmm. So, and Temple University is located in a working class neighborhood. So to have that program there was significant. And I did a lot of research and did not find a program that to me, spoke to me, resonated with me that had someone leading it and spearheading it that also emphasized the research and study just as much as um, technical ability and advancement. It's incredible to have that. Yeah. And so what, what, uh, what was that program like for you in, in getting your degree there? It was like the training that you, like you, stated that you didn't want conservatory type, but that you also were interested in other techniques. Like what all were you taking? (laughs) Yeah, Temple to me was the great middle ground for it. There were a lot of students there who come from conservatories that were really frustrated with Temple because it didn't have a conservatory feel. Like um, um, University of the Arts had more of a conservatory feel in Philly. Um, Temple University emphasized modern dance and postmodern dance and um, had instructors like, um, oh my gosh, Ava. Oh my goodness, I should have, my bad. That's, that's okay. This happens all the time. <laughs> I know who they are. I just said yeah. their whole names. One of the names that stick out besides Mama Kariyamu is uh, Kunyang Ling, Kun Ling, who also just recently retired. And he taught his own style of, well, it's not his own style. It became his style, but it's like modern dance with Tai Chi. Ah. And so he incorporated Tai Chi within his work. And then Keith Thompson was there for a little bit, who was actually from here. Um, and I love Keith there. Thompson. Oh, yeah. my gosh. He was there for a while. Ah. So I studied with him there. Median Soto where I got my improv chops from in uh, college. And, um, oh my gosh, there was was an instructor who taught Lamone, but I don't remember her name because she retired the the year that I got there. Hmm. And um, Ava, I just wish I could remember her last name, but she taught uh, modern dance as well. And because she's a musician... She taught dance from a from a way of writing music. So huh. she taught us how I forget the name of the course. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, That's okay. That's okay. Had, okay, good. Because <laughs> she had us write our steps in music notes. Wow. So, yeah. It was intense. Yeah. Well, and what did it I mean, I know Keith Thompson's movement and work mm-hmm. and uh so many of the artists that you say state like just a well-rounded program mm-hmm. to create well-rounded movers yeah they, so em- they emphasize teaching you what's in the box and then also taking you out of the box like they really they they really forefronted their the, their instructors creative creativity and did you know right away again i feel like I state this, like you seem so focused in, in like, okay, I do this and now I'm going to do this. Like, did you go right away to get your master's or did you? No, no. no good. You took a little time to take it in what you did. 
Yeah. I mean, when I got to college, I was older. Like, I, I went late. Ah. Um, I danced here for a while, just trying to figure out what was, what, trying to follow what, what felt good, what resonated with me. And like I said, when I followed the African diaspora, um, in terms of the Black African diaspora, and ex- I did more of a traditional route in terms of learning forms of um, Senegambian region of West Africa that majorly stem from either Guinea and the Fula people, Fulani, or the mm. or Mali, old old Mali Empire stuff. So I just followed that track. But when I met Kariamu at Temple, she lived in Zimbabwe, so her technique, Fula technique, comes out of Zimbabwe and contemporary dance. So it's uh, it's African, it's African dance with um, a contemporary uh, feel to it and um, nuance to it. But <clears throat> when I followed that 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 impulse and got to Temple, Temple was the right timing for me because I was exploring how to to dance outside of traditions, like. Mm. Coming, going to Mama Kariamu kept me within the mind frame of traditional work, but because it was a style of and a technique that she created from having lived in Zimbabwe and and throughout her research, her life research and work, it still took me out of the traditional box a little bit. Um, but there was still a lot of the way this in which she conducted class that still was a traditional kind of framework. And so having those different, like Keith Thompson, like these people who came out of Trisha Brown, like there was a feel that I needed in the work that they were doing in those classes that helped me to think broader in terms of how can I have more confidence in my abilities to experiment because working in a traditional mindset for so long for me after a while I didn't I was I was a little apprehensive not a little I was a lot of lot apprehensive of exploring movement outside of a traditional kind of classical frame and that's even within that's also in within the African aesthetic Hmm. so Temple was really great in terms of expanding my capacity and ability to move and think while also showing me a way to know that <clears throat> I have an ability to, to dance that's not totally reliant on tradition only. Yeah. And so did you come back to Minnesota after college then? Or did well, you hang well, out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I moved to New York because I got a apprenticeship with Urban Bushelman. Oh. So I studied with Urban Bushelman as an apprentice for maybe a couple years, a year or so, and then did, you know, sat at the feet of Jawale and learned a lot from Jawale and got uh, in community with the Urban Bushwoman dancers. And then, again, found a, the confidence in myself to not look to be in a company to validate me as a dancer. Mm. So that was another journey on getting outside of my own mental box and what I thought that was going to 
um, validate me. I realized yeah. that I didn't need to dance in a company to validate myself as a dancer. And that's when I began my independent artist track in New York. So even though I didn't dance professionally with the company, even though I did dance as an apprentice, I danced with the, the dancers of the company in independent gigs all over the all over New York. Mm. Yeah, what does that apprenticeship look like? I mean, like any apprenticeship, really, you just you you can you go in, you learn um, from being in the studio in rehearsals with the dancers and with the choreographer and with the director. You learn works that old older works. I mean, I but when I was apprenticing, we were learning shelter. They were remounting shelter again, which is an iconic piece hmm. of urban bushwoman. I think uh, Albany Lee dancers performed it as well in the 80s. I'm not sure what year, uh, making that up, what year it was. But shelter <laughs> at the time was one of the pieces that I was being was being remounted and, and heavily researched and, and rehearsed. So apprenticeships, I guess, are depending on who you are and what you want, they could lead to a job with the company or not. It's just an opportunity for you to get a more personalized experience and also train um, with the company. Mm-hmm. And it's also a way to get an understudy position and perhaps um, just build a relationship with the company. And I'm, my guess is that it's not a paid apprenticeship. No, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what else were you doing to survive uh, as a dancer? Like, I love looking at this scope of of, of what, uh, what it takes and what you're doing to even to be able to do that, a kind of apprenticeship. Yeah. There was nothing easy about it. I'm not even going to sit here and try to romanticize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that experience. And but part of the reason why I left Minnesota to try to follow a more professional experience. And when I say more professional, I mean, for me, trying to discover what does advancing in my field mean what does it look like you know what does it mean to advance as a dancer as a black dancer as a black woman dancer and i felt like at the time here in minnesota i've done all i could do to learn here um because there are lots of times when i felt like i was you know the black dance community here was really small if and and it felt insignificant because of that Hmm. and i knew that black dance was totally significant. And so I went somewhere where I thought I could find a few more and the circle would be a bit bigger. Yeah. So New York was a bigger circle of black dancers and black women dancers, black femme dancers that I wanted to be in community with and just, you know, dancers period. (laughs) So I can't even really tell you, like, again, it's not a linear experience. There was nothing linear about it. It was but I didn't have to do any other side gigs. Like when I was in Philly, I did do a lot of um, um, temp agency work oh, while yeah. I was to get by. <laughs> and that's because when I was here, I also got my degree in human resources. So I had a heavy administrative degree background. 
and I worked in human resources here. I worked at Dayton's and I was a human resource generalist. So I had that in my skill set. So when I moved to Philly, I was able to get a lot of temp jobs in different companies, just doing data entry or something like that, you know? When I got to New York, all of that halted. There was, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do any kind of administrative work while I was out there. I just trained. And I think the way I was able to make a living for a while was just being able to get gigs here and there. I taught a lot. I got on the, um, uh, it was called Learning Through an Expanded Arts Program, um, Bailey's Cafe, which I still shout out to this day, and Stephanie um, who, in Brooklyn, who gave me jobs through teaching her students, both at Paul Robeson High School, and then when she left Paul Robeson High School, she opened up her own program, which was a dream of hers. She was an English literature teacher, and she just would bring um, art people in to teach dance or to music, whatever the have you. So I ended up just teaching in the schools um, mm. through these different programs. And I learned so much about being in New York through its public school system. Mm. That's how I made a living there. Yeah, incredible. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The many, many jobs that um, dancers <laughs> undertake to, to make keep a dancing living. and yeah, to just get by. Yeah. So, so then getting going to get your master's that decision and yeah and oh my gosh germany like yeah how amazing well i got to a point where i was like i i'm just losing the desire to teach children <laughs> i love them <laughs> yes <laughs> i was doing so much of it <laughs> all over in every borough of new york that I was like, I just um, need something different. I need to do something different now. I need to incubate myself and to just think about myself for a while as an artist and not be thinking about myself as an artist to give it away somewhere. But how can I build and develop myself? So then I decided to go to school. And I can remember when I was at Philly, Janice Brenner who comes out of the Nikolai uh, camp, the mm -hmm. Murray camp of New York. She uh, came to Temple and did a semester. And in her comp class, she was someone that I felt like really could see my energy and my rigor in a way that some people would see having the kind of African aesthetic background that I have. I've been in some some more modern spaces where they're like, you dance too hard. It's too much energy. It's too much. <laughs> and Janice Brennan was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. You just, you just, you're dynamo. <laughs> and so I was like, yes, somebody finally understands me. Cause as much as dancing at Temple was, it got me out of my box. It was also difficult because the quality of my movement stemmed from having a lot of hip hop, drill team, African aesthetic work. That's very much of a more direct um, kind of moving. Yeah. Very strong kind of direct moving for lack of better terms. And so in some of the postmodern classes, it just, my, the quality of my movement was not resonating for the instructors. Um, but they did appreciate my raw, um, 
my my raw uh, way of attacking it. You know, they, mm. they love that, like, just do it. Like, this is kind of warrior way of being in, in class. And they did appreciate that. But Janice was someone who appreciated all the different aspects of what I brought to the dance. And, you know, and she also, <clears throat> in the way that she taught compositions as an improviser. So she told me one time when I was trying to figure it out towards uh, getting out of school about Holland University, because that's where she went. And she went as an adult um, student, because I was like, I'm older. Like, where do I go for my master's at this age? I'm already older than everybody at Temple. And she suggested Holland University. And so I put that in my file cabinet. Yeah. And I pulled it out that when I decided it's time to go back to school and I looked it up and it just seemed like the perfect program because it got me out of New York too. It was now time for me to explore dance outside of New York. Hmm. So the program of Holland's, what did, what does that look like? What was your experience (laughs) there? (laughs) Big question. Big question. (laughs) There's so much to it. By the time I got to Holland's university, it has switched its um, administration and leadership. And so Jeffrey was uh, leading it, the, the program at the time. I, gosh, I swear to you, if I, I'm usually better with names. <laughs> I love it that you have the first name, but not the last name. I don't have the last <laughs> name, but you know what? <laughs> I'm going to find it right now. <laughs> Because Jeffrey is my friend, <laughs> and I do not want to forget Jeffrey's last name, and I do know it. So let me look him up. As yeah. Well, and I've always heard, <clears throat> excuse me, about Holland's as as a really generative place and like creative self expression and um, really encouraging that individual voice. Uh, yes of expression. So I'm, I'm just interested in, it's also interesting to me that after so much that you did at Temple and apprenticeship with Urban Bushwoman, like you had a pretty solid, you know, my gosh, like the range of work that you were experiencing and, and getting to, to train and perform to yeah. then have that curiosity of going deeper within yourself. So so to me, Leslie, it seems like you really knew, again, going back to that real focus of like, this is what I'm going to do. Like you knew that you were looking into making your own work and mm-hmm. choreographing by this point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I tried not to be. <laughs> <laughs> I did because I didn't think that I could make any money doing my work. Ah. So, Jeffrey Bullock. Jeffrey Bullock. Yes. Holland <laughs> University. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out, Jeffrey Bullock. Yeah. He, when he took over the program, that's when it went from eight. Oh my gosh. What's the program? Was it ADF? No. No. Yeah. What is American Dance Festival? Yeah. 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 It went from being there because that's where the classes were at one point heavily. But when Jeffrey took it over, it went to Germany. And um, he, that was, Holland's was the time when I really could focus in on 
looks like you're going to be doing your own work <laughs> because the way that Jeffrey designed the program for us to have kind of our own, it's like he curated it based upon who was let in. Like you did have to go through the whole application process and be accepted in and all nine. And I think that he, if, if I didn't, I've never asked him this question, but you could never anticipate that each year was going to be like the last year. Going to Hollins University meant that this was my first year. It was great. I'm going to go back and I think I'm going to know what I'm doing. And nope, I don't. Mm. <laughs> it would totally switch in the way the classes, that, the way that he taught the classes, who was teaching the classes, why they were teaching the classes. It never really stayed the same. Mm. And so I learned about improvisation from him in terms of how to run a school program. You know, he was so about identity in flux at the time. Mm. And so it was a place where I could actually reevaluate all the things that I had spoken with you about, you know, like how do I keep growing into this experimental, this experimental way. Mm. And that was the moment where, and then going to Germany was another turning point with the artist that he introduced us to in Europe and the work that I witnessed in Europe, it just really gave us an opportunity to ask ourselves, okay, so who are you and what kind of risks are you taking in your art? And encouraged us to take as many risks as possible and not think about anybody liking it for any reason. Hmm. He doesn't have to like your work, but he will respect you for the kind of risk taking that you Hmm. take. He says, do something. This is this is a this is a program where you can do things that um, you don't see or don't typically see or don't normally see. As a matter of fact, I'd rather see you do something that you haven't ever done before. And so the Hollands program has really sealed the deal for me in terms of thinking about myself as a black identifying cis woman and mm. the things that I wanted to talk about, and, you know, um, which. Uh, which focus around my own ontology <laughs> of how I'm being in the world and how being in the world um, situates us in the way that we impact our environment and how our environment impacts us in particular to your own history. And not while you're thinking in particular around your own history, but also um, creating a new future and thinking about the future of dance and, if you, and what do we want the future of dance to look like. Hmm. And so that's where I really knew, okay, I'm ready to be an independent artist. I'm ready to talk about and uplift independent artists and I'm ready to do my own work. Nice. So what, what does that look like? What that ne- next step was then for you in, in doing that approach? I know you're you're based in Brooklyn and, and here in the Twin Cities. Yeah. Um, I go back and forth. Yeah. How how did you make that how did that start happening for you? What was the well, first step to getting your work out there? Going back and forth was just the way it had to be because when I was going to Hollins, the campus is based in Roanoke, Virginia, and then we um, would go to Frankfurt, Germany, 
and the program that I was in was eight weeks every year. So it was a three-year program for eight weeks. <laughs> Outside of that was eight weeks was independent study. So those eight weeks felt like eight months, right? It was really intense. Yeah. So you, you, I thought that it was going to be easier as an adult because it worked with adult lifestyle, but it's not easier because it compact everything. So it really increased my capacity for rigor. But when I got home to the Twin Cities, my hometown, to spend time with my mom, my family, I realized I just wanted to spend more time building new memories with my family because I'd been gone for 15 years. Uh. And so then I would spend time here where I'm at now in the Twin Cities and then you know, go back and forth. Like I'll, I'll be in New York this coming weekend. <laughs> <laughs> So I, it's not an easy thing to do, but it also became kind of the thing to do for me in order to satisfy what I felt like my creative practice needs. Yeah. So, um, Can I, you share? Sorry, it's been okay. interesting. I thought I was wondering. If, I was wondering about your perception of like the Twin Cities. So here you are. You've been away for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure in that time frame, you're you're looking back on the Twin Cities, but then also coming back from that, those experiences as well, like the, the perception of the dance community. Did it shift for you? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you share a little about that? Well, I wish I could say something more positive. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> no, I mean... I think you're right. I mean, I... I you know, my perception very different from yours, but I think I understand. I, I think, yeah, let me hear your voice. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad that you said that. Thank you. I mean, for the fact that I take every opportunity and experience to, to, to reflect on myself, and I give credit for to to the Twin Cities. I give credit to wherever I am, Roanoke, Virginia, New York, you know, Frankfurt, like all the places where I did a lot of reflection. All, all these places shaped me, you know, as an artist. So let me just say that first. And and I am really grateful. Coming back from the East Coast is a very different way of thinking as a dancer. Than here, what I experienced in the Twin Cities, because here in the Twin Cities, what I experienced was more of uh, the white modern dance community, mm-hmm. and coming, which is why I left, because I felt like I didn't fit in here. Um, not to say that that's the only dance that happens in the Twin Cities, because it's not. Yeah. But in terms of me looking for a platform where I could make a living. I was having a difficult time understanding how to do that here. Hmm. And so I felt like I must need to grow. You know, it's nothing, it wasn't putting the Twin Cities down at the time. I just felt like, oh, there just must be more information I need. And I had to figure out where to get it. Because I got tired of feeling like I was watching everyone else do what I wanted to do, but I couldn't do it. Hmm. So returning after all that rigor on the East Coast and traveling and getting degrees and 
coming home to see family, that became more of my focus is just spending time with my family when I got here. And I would, you know, teach here and there at Penumbra Theater for their summer institute program. So things felt pretty, you know, pretty even for me, but I wasn't striving to get into the, the larger dance community here because yeah. I still had memories of not fitting in. Um, and then when I did decide, well, you know, try to integrate a little bit more, it was still like a difficult journey of how do I integrate into the community that I've been an outsider of for so long. Like, I don't know how to enter, I don't know how to enter it. Hmm. I don't even know if they would even listen to me for who I am. And then when I came back and people started remembering me, it was, it was a little bit jarring for me. Like, oh, you remember me? <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, I know that sounds so egotistical, but. That's that artist self-doubt, though, I think. I mean, I can, I can connect with that. Well, I think it was beyond self-doubt and more of who were the, 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 the one person that was here at the time that I felt saw me was June Wilson. Hmm. And when June Wilson left, and then I left, because when June was leaving, I was like, well, if you leave June, there's really no reason for me to stay here. <laughs> That's oh, how I gosh. And when I, because June was on the front lines and June was the person that was actually trying to make change for the field and to make the field a better place for all people. And mm. I admired that. That was someone who I can identify with from a black femme lens. And so she left, I was like, I don't, I really don't know where I fit. Mm. So coming back, she, she's not here anymore. Yeah. So the only way I, I think I, I didn't integrate right away. I started teaching at the U. So literally when um, I got into teaching as a lecturer, that's when you and I crossed paths again, Matthew, yeah. at the University of Minnesota, that was literally my entry point back into the community here. Oh. That was it. So that was quite the, like, Full time, I did that lecture during gig. <laughs> <laughs> and though I'm very grateful for it because it actually not only did was it an entry point, it allowed me, it stabilized me to make a living here. Yeah. You know, and my mom was struggling with her health. So it was a way that I could help my family. Mm. It was just the only entry point that I had. So I reintroduced myself to the dance community as an instructor, as an educator at the University of Minnesota. And at that point, I was I had a voice of my own and the University of Minnesota allowed me some time in those classes to refine that here. What does it sound mm. like here? I mean, how are people responding to what I have to offer here? You know, so the U gave me space to to experiment and to explore with that. Yeah. Well, on your website with your company, Leslie Parker Dance Project, um, you state that it's a platform to forefront black space mm -hmm. when creating, making, and directing dance, highlighting unique individual contributions while digging into collective memory to engage with the world more imaginatively. Yes. 
how does how does this inspiration unfold for you and i feel like everything you've shared up to this point truly it's it's very clear to me of of creating that black space but can you just share a little of, of that inspiration absolutely i mean beyond you know besides everything i just said cuz all of it inspires inspires uh the work that I'm doing and the practice that I'm doing, I'm, I will just say more directly that I believe that naming your reference point as an instructor, as a dancer, as an improviser, as an educator, director, collaborator, naming your reference point for how you see yourself in the world is a way to enter all spaces to be in conversation more authentically. So cultivating black space um, is a way to cultivate community around the ideas of a black dancing body from a black Mm -hmm. feminine. And it's a way to enter so not only is it a way for me to enter into conversation, for example, with you, Matthew, it's a way for you to enter into a conversation with me. Hmm. Because it's not exclusive of anyone, but it does prioritize um, black bodies, black yeah. and brown bodies. And I've taken that on as my responsibility as part of taking care of my own body in space to start more particularly where I'm standing. So space isn't about walls. It's not about geography. It's not about um, existing within a container of a confined container that only certain abilities and information can enter through and out. Black space is much more expansive than that. So it's also an opportunity to um, add onto the lineages of Black dance. And when I say Black dance, I mean I'll, I mean the canon of it, yes. But also, <laughs> also the, the experimenters like myself who don't always work within the canon. Yeah. And those of us who refer to the canon and respect it because of what it's contributed to the field at large, as I do but I don't preserve it. Hmm. So it's a more expansive way of thinking about how we can exist in real time, uh, consciously and subconsciously, uh, so that our experiences, even within a subconscious moment where we're unraveling our bodies in time together, um, we have some type of honest awareness of this kind of space that we're making and cultivating together. Hmm. There's a lot of nodding of my head throughout (laughs) things you're sharing. It's yeah. Well, so for, for your work, where, where does that inspiration come from? How does, how do you like, what are you working on right now? Leslie? And, And maybe can you share, uh, what, how that process unfolds for you? Sure. 
Let me just say right now, in this moment, I really appreciate these questions. I'm just starting to feel like that, like I'm talking about myself a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, and it's all good. This is why we're here. <laughs> I want to learn about you. Okay. We want to learn about you. <laughs> all right. Um, so is the project that uh, I am in the midst of right now, me and my uh, collaborators that I'm working with. Uh, it's a multi-year project that started actually in grad school. Mm. Uh, I began my research there, even though my thesis is around a piece called uh, Bone Woman Traces in Black. That's my thesis work, and that's a story unto itself. But during that thesis work, I knew that improvisation was something that I wanted to dive into more because it's actually been my dream all of my life to be an improviser. I just mm. didn't know if it was possible. Huh. I didn't know if I could make money doing it. You know, this is like back all the way back to when I was doing drill team work and marching in the streets. And I always loved improvisation. And I knew as a young kid, when I was doing improvisation on my own, it was kind of like, you know, a closet improviser. <laughs> <laughs> I always was just thinking to myself, you don't dance like the people you see dancing. You know, so that's what kept it closeted because I'm like, yeah, I'm like, ah, so <laughs> that again, back to for fast forward to grad school when I said, you know what, it's time for me to just really, t you know, hone in on what it is that this body needs to express. So improvisation was a big thing for me during that, during Holland University, my research, a big, big research time. For me, so I was going to a lot of places researching different improv models to see which model resonated with me, and um, then I said, "Well, you know, improvisation has been a part of Black cultures forever. It's ancient. It's, it's, it's a part of um, when we think about the enslaved Africans that came over from the transatlantic, our transatlantic um, diasporic communities." improvisation is embedded in the way that we think, the way that we move, the way that we sing, the way that we act, the way that we dance. And it's the bedrock of so much in terms of the way we think about black music and how music has evolved even in this country and dance. Hmm. So I was like, it's time for me to just be honest about what my first love and first language is. And Call to Remember was being conceived at that point. And it wasn't until, and I, and I, there's a, a artist who I admire, Mara Tabor Smith, who I was in college with at Hollins at the time. And I was trying to figure out how to continue to work with her. So when I returned to the Twin Cities, um, after she graduated and then I graduated a year later, I contacted her and said, oh, I'd love to be able to work with you in space with your, with your knowledge as a, with all the things that you bring to art. Mm -hmm. Mara Tabora Smith was a principal dancer with Urban Bushwoman. She's also a part of the Arisha faith and Yoruba faith. Mm -hmm. And she's done, uh, her work is incredible in terms of the way that she interviews, um, she calls it conjuring. Mm -hmm. The way that she intermingles her spiritual self and spiritual knowledge with her her embodied presence and her dance presence and her dance history and her dance future knowledge. And I'm like, that's just perfect for me in terms of the way that I'm thinking. 
but I want to be in space and collaborating and improving with you in real time to learn and to be in an, in an exchange with you. She agreed. Mm. Um, same with Mayfield Brooks coming from the black church and V Bohim also coming from the church, um, had brought another spin to this work because of having a vaudeville kind of, not vaudeville, I'm sorry, but more of a burlesque kind of background, but also someone who was um, experimenting with all the mediums, song, music, Mm. dance, theater, spoken word, like all the things. So I thought this would be an opportunity to mix local artists with artists who are coming from other places and both Amara's coming from California and Mayfield came from New York. And so I approached Pillsbury House Theater with the idea and they said, sure. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't just that easy like that, but you know, there was a process <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that happened and we were able to get the work off the ground and had our first workshop in 2020 of February, shortly before George Floyd, the mm. murder of George Floyd and COVID. And through the pandemics of, you know, racism and COVID just fueled the project that much more. And it mm. became a multi-year project. And that's we're at the stage of the project now where um, it will be premiering at the Walker Arts Center on May 11th through the 13th of 2023. Ah, so it's coming up. Yeah. That's great. So for your first day of rehearsal, what does that look like? Well, as the lead of the project, let's oh say. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wouldn't even call it a rehearsal. It was, it's more like a practice because of mm. all of us being improv artists. You know? um, so all of us, particularly with Amara and Mayfield and V, they're, they're a part of the project now, although they're not the core dance collaborators at this stage of the work. But in the beginning of the first um, launch of the workshop work, that was like standing room only sold out at PHT, the workshop of what happened in front of an audience. They flew in like on a Monday. We got into the studio theater on Tuesday and then the workshop in front of the audience was Thursday. Oh, wow so intensive <laughs> yeah if, if if intensive is the word like we did we we were in a studio for um i would say we started at like if i remember correctly like 8 a.m and we'd probably be finished around six and all that was a a, a combination of things it was looking at talking to each other building trust um bringing different materials into the room Um, responding to those materials and those materials came from each of us. Like we all brought different things into the space to, to talk about and to talk about ourselves and to move Mm -hmm. with it. And we also like ate together and we went shopping together and (laughs) just spent a lot of time in each other's company. You know, we did a lot of writing together. We did some drawing together. Um, Yeah. That's how that laid the foundation for call to remember. And now it has continued to evolve where um, the dancers that are now in this work is me, Leslie Parker, Jessica Akpaka, Ino, I'm sorry, Jessica Ino Akpaka, mm. 
and Samantha Mom Diara Spees um, in New York. And uh, the sound designers are Damian Strange on synth, Anioka Workman on cello, and Michael Wimberly on percussion and piano. Mm. And when we go into practice together, everything is from scratch, all of us. We literally are improvising in real time together with sound and movement and word. And we're um, also working with dramaturg Sharon Bridgeforth and um, bringing in text that Sharon Bridgeforth um, wrote in, that was spoken by Lori Carlos and Sharon Bridgeforth by, in, in this um, altar film called Love Conjure Blues. And mm-hmm. so this work also honors um, Lori Carlos as an artist ancestor and someone who had uh, a profound impact on me in terms of being a transdisciplinary, interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary artist who um, had an unapologetic Black vernacular in her work. Hmm. So with with this process, <laughs> creatively, is it scored then eventually? Or are you, like, how do you hold on to, and this is me being a terrible improviser myself, or like if we improvise or if I have the dancers improvise, I'm like, okay, let's remember that now. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I don't leave it to to chance for my vision or the vision of the group together. But, but what does that look like for you? Sure. I mean, well, first let me say that the improvisation that we are doing is rooted and grounded within a black aesthetic mm-hmm. of, uh, that's rooted. When I say black aesthetic, it's rooted in the cultures. And I say that in multiplicity of blackness and Black African traditions. And so there is a place in which it's the improvisation ideas are coming from a particular kind of way of existing in space, right? Mm -hmm. And within that, we experiment. So we already have a base and understanding of where this information is coming from and where it's rooted as we're experimenting with it. So with that, there's a language that's being created in real time based upon how we're experimenting. And then we remember that language as we're moving through. So say for example, um, we do some movement based upon a particular kind of prompt. And then once that we experience what what our unique real time um, explorations were, from that prompt that we embodied, then we reflect on that and say, okay, here's the way that I saw that prompt. This is how I felt that prompt. This is what it brought up for me. This is what um, works for me. You know, like if we're talking about, for example, worms, like, oh, when I was a kid, I didn't like worms and they made me feel like this or made me feel like that, for example, right? And so we take note in space in conversation about those kinds of things that resonate with us from having the experience and that creates a language that we keep. Uh. And then we, we, and we work with the language though that continues to surface, that continues to repeat itself organically through the work for each of us as individuals. And that's for the sound designers as well. 
And then when we, that's how we are able to filter what is remaining and what continues to be what we're all um, working with in real time. And so we take that and that narrows down how we create a score. Okay. Does that kind of help? Yeah, completely. I know there's so many routes, you know, which I think is the beauty of this and, mm-hmm. and the being an artist, getting, having your voice and your work out there, you know, it's, it's so nice to have that little kind of <laughs> glimmer spotlight on, on what that is for you. And, you know, Leslie, it is so great chatting with you because I don't know, I, I really am enjoying getting to know you yeah. in this way. And, you know, again, you are doing so much and I hate to, to like, I feel like I'm ending on a boring question, <laughs> but I also feel like this, this is what so many people, again, speaking very generally, do not realize but the administrative side of things, mm-hmm. how in the world <laughs> are you doing what you are doing? And, and my goodness, I hope you have help, <laughs> <laughs> which I know is probably not true, but yeah. I can do. you just, you do. Yay. I, yes. I do have help. I mean, <laughs> to be honest, and you know, I'll, I'll probably take this back into like the whole philosophical way in which I talk and think, but, <laughs> the, the help has come from having a more honest uh, connection to how I work and the practice in the way that the practice unfolds with the people I'm in relationship and in conversation with. So because of that, I've been really fortunate to find people who are willing to help. Sometimes it's me having to search them out, you know, I, um, but because I have a clear idea of what it is that I need, it helps. And then there, there, there are some people who see what I'm doing and they're like, how can, how can I help? And I've been really fortunate to gather a team. I have a very small team, but it's a team. Yeah, yeah. And I still do tons amount of work. You know, I'm not I'm not not working on the administrative side, I totally am. But I'm working with a creative producer and I'm also working with um, a booking manager and between the both of them and with me, we're in conversations regularly with the institutional partners, as well as the collabor- the artists, collaborators, and the communities. And what they understand is that this, the, the Black space that we are creating here, are cultivating, is primarily um, being realized through collaboration and collaborative experiences. Mm. So even between the two of them, they're collaborating and bringing out other skills. So the creative producer may have a set of duties and skills that they're doing for Leslie Parker Dance Project and Call to Remember. And now the latest iteration of Call to Remember's Divination Tools Imagine Home that will premiere at Walker Art Center. Hmm. And we have the booking manager who has a certain amount of skills that they're working on. In particular for this work, I asked them to be in collaboration so they can cross pollinate their skills. And 
therefore um, expand the way in which they're working with the work. Too. Mm. And somehow we've been able to make it work. I mean, and I every now and then I'm able to get some folks that can come in temporarily through different through different phases of our work. Like when we're at a residency in New York, for example, dance space project. Working through residencies have been tremendously helpful administratively. Mm. Residency work has been key for this work as a multi-year work. It which means building relationships with institutions and also, well, I won't say institutions, but building relationships with presenters, building relationships with producers. Mm-hmm. And that can happen through re- residencies. And that's how we utilize the residencies to build relationships. And through those relationships, we acquire additional help to, to look for how this work can have its most full, full representation or presentation wherever it lands. Yeah, yeah, the impact and the, the fact that that exposure and the knowledge that you're sharing within those residencies empowers people, I think, yes. to, to be like, oh, and then this should go here. Right. <laughs> like that clear focus. That's right. so smart. Wow. Well, Leslie, um, it is so extremely nice to chat with you and just congratulations on all that you are achieving and doing. And, you know, hopefully there's a little bit of a shift here in the, in the Twin Cities community. Um, thankful to you and, and others that are, are making things happen in that black space yes. uh, at the forefront. Um, I really appreciate your time today, especially how busy you are. Um, so really just thank you so much for joining us today for Studio Stories. Thank you for, again for asking me. And let me just say that there are more black bodies in dance in the Twin Cities now that I have been that I've been able to be in relationship with and to witness than I have in quite some time. And I want to uplift and celebrate, celebrate them in the community as well as just the beautiful community of dance that we do have. I know I've had my, my trek that was not always easy, but it's my own trek, my own Mm. individual trek, but it doesn't take away from the beauty of the dance community in general here at large, because the twin city does have a very rich, um, dance community and it is recognized everywhere I go. Hmm. So just want to put that out there too. Yeah. Great We're place. To, <laughs> great place to, to leave that. Thank you, Leslie. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Next week we hear from the incomparable Annie Anakin of children's theater fame, jazz dance and Annie and the bang bang.